and welcome to Horrorfy Chats. In this segment, we talk to independent creators who have contributed to and collaborated with the show, look into various influences and motivations that bring people into the horror genre. This evening, we have with us Austin Armstrong, the author of Revenants and Toxicosis, a contributor to the show. Good evening, Austin. How are you? Okay, how are you? Ah, oh, grand. And um, thanks very much for coming on the first one of these. Um, so far, so good. We don't seem to have too many technical difficulties. <laughs> we got started, so that's that's always a good uh, a good thing. Okay. So, how have you been? Oh, good. Yeah, that's the did some Mardi Gras stuff in New Orleans, so that's that was fun. <laughs> that was the next question. Where are you based? Because this show will we'll deal with everybody all over the globe, and uh, obviously I'm over here in the UK. And time difference is always fun trying to get these things set up. Yeah. So New Orleans, that's uh, that's quite an interesting part of the world, isn't it? There's a lot of um, sort of folklore and tradition there, and yeah. Yeah, we um, just moved here in 2019, and uh, you know we've been visiting a lot for Halloween. Primarily, we, every year practically for like 10 years, we visited Halloween, and, and we said, "Oh, you know, we really want to live here." So that's what we did, and we love it. Excellent. Do you know what? That's half the battle. If you find a place where um, you actually like, you feel comfortable, and you can uh, sort of join in, be part of the community as such, or events. Um, yeah, and it has does like you said. It's got like a lot of the macabre and the folk, folk history. That that was one of the things that drew me to it as, as well. So, have you always had an interest in horror, personally? Uh, yes. I, I mean, even as a little kid, um, I you know, from the time of like maybe five or six, I, I was the only child. Well, I found out I have brothers and sisters I never heard of, but before now, but uh, anyway, I grew up, I thought I was an only child, and I spent a lot of time in my imagination, and um, I used to have, like, nightmares a lot, and I, my family's kind of on a gloomy side, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Do you mean as in pessimistic, or uh, in terms of aesthetic? Well, they, they, uh, like my cousin, one of my cousins, uh, we always like to watch even when we were little kids, we used to like stay up late and watch like Alfred Hitchcock and all those straight jacket and all those kind of movies. And we used to have kind of like macabre sense of humor and like like songs, you know, old folk songs about people being hanged and things like that. <laughs> so was, um, do you ever find yourself, have you ever come across like one of the normies or like general public? You kind of disturb them but because it's been so normal all your life and being a lover of horror you're like aha that's really funny and somebody's like oh yeah yeah i know i mean i have i have um a lot of friends that um, a lot of friends are horror writers but then i have a lot of friends who who aren't or they don't even like horror and you know they don't understand that there's all different types of horror in um you know, horror is a part of life, I think. I think that's a, um, the barriers have got definitely more broken over the last few years, but people tend to have always put horror itself into a box of creature feature or supernatural, and that was it. Yeah. And it was quite limiting, and maybe it comes back from the old Universal Pictures, or like we said, Alfred Hitchcock, although he's more thriller, but mm. Psycho is a horror movie. Let's be yes. honest, you know what I mean? There's no F buts or maybes. But when he does stuff like Vertigo and the Birds and that, they're, they're thrillers, but that, that horror essence has always been there. Yet people, the mainstream, would always gravitate towards him as a thriller sort of director. Um, it is quite... Uh, people tend to have like a, a set mindset when it comes to things, and it can be frustrating. Yeah, I mean, like, then you think, like, my, I, I guess my favorite types of horror, you know, if you have to break it down, but it, it's kind of a blurry category, like you say, but I like um, supernatural, psychological, and I like surreal horror, and I include things like David Lynch, I, he's one of my favorite directors, that to me, some of that is uh, what I would call horror, because it deals with dreams and nightmares and, you know, things like that, the surreal things that happen and can't be explained and stuff like that 
there's been a tendency over the last few years. That, um, part of the reason for starting this podcast with my buddies was we're just getting despondent uh, with cinema in general. Just everything become cookie cutter, safe for the kids, nothing out there, and it kind of forces you to watch things because it's just so easy now to go, now nah, I'm going to stick to my DVD collection from 1980 and never leave there because that's my happy place. Um, yeah. It's been, a, it's been a tricky couple of years. I don't know. It's just been uh, yeah. a decline. We're starting to see, like this year already, um, like we're only into March and flip, it's just been movie after movie coming out. So yeah. we're seeing a bit of a revival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, well, I I think for me, sometimes, you know, a lot of people, if they say, oh, I want to escape the horror of real life, I'll watch like some comedy or some rom-com or whatever. But to me, I like watching like something dark. Um, if, as long as, you know, I'm not really big on like, slasher movies that much i mean i kind of like dealing more with like the psychology or the mystery the eeriness of it uh so there's a mystery to solve and that's the whole point of the movie to try and figure out what the hell's going on um usually like a a curse has been enacted um i'm thinking of the insidious Mm -hmm. series there has to be a mystery to solve before you can defeat the bad guy um slashers have their place i love slash no i mean they're a bit of fun um, just switch your brain, brain off, get the co- popcorn, laugh for a bit. Um, yeah. Same as creature feature ones, you know, just that, that's it. Especially when you look at the older ones and you see, um, well, actually, that's the thing as well, because we've been looking at a lot of classics. But some of the effects and atmosphere have done so much better than some modern movies with multi million dollar budgets. And it's like, what's happening? I think I lost you again there. Volume. Yeah, you, you kind of dipped out there and then you came back. Here, it wouldn't be yeah, this show. See if everything went perfectly. I've said it a hundred times and especially with going live. If this show went perfectly, I'd wonder what was going wrong. Honestly, if there wasn't glitches and bugs, that's the joy of the internet. And we'll just, just go with it because that's, that's half the fun, just uh, having a laugh. But... So, sorry, I was just saying about um, knowing that slashers don't have their place. You were making a point there. Oh, I guess I was, what was I saying? Oh, about how you were talking about like horror in like last couple of years have been kind of horrific and yeah, and then uh, people going to escape and you were talking about like creature features and things you can have like a laugh at some. Yeah, I mean there is kind of like a. Uh, dark humor and a lot of horror movies and um, even like film noir um, I, I like a lot of that because there's always like kind of a sense of this tragic fate and somebody tries to escape something that's happened and they get in this intricate web and and then at the end they end up right where they were trying to escape from so that's good so when did you decide um, growing up probably like myself just loved horror different different versions when did you decide that rather than just being a consumer that you wanted to put something out there that you had a like an idea scratching the back of your head and just had to how to get put together and something when did that kind of come to be well i started writing um little books when i was like maybe eight years old and you know even though they were animal stories they were they were kind of gruesome because my grandmother, my mother would tell me about all these freakish animals they encountered. And and so I wrote the stories about this like cat who had her legs on backwards and a dog with a horse with a glass eye and a dog that had a windpipe operation. And they were all living together in this cave and they were battling against the people who tried to put them to sleep. And so as the animals that were like the good guys versus the people that were the bad people you know mm-hmm. oh, was this for like a school essay or just for yourself oh, they were all little books and i you know i wasn't even a very good artist i could picture teachers you know <laughs> did any of this material ever get out like i said i could just picture a teacher having kittens um reading something like that and all of a sudden social workers are getting involved in the scene you know just they're they're still as bad now but um i take it 
that was more of a private enterprise or was that a was well, that an idea to create something so i didn't publish them but you know my mom would read them and and i enjoyed doing it um and you know then i guess um i wrote poetry for a while then i kind of dropped off in like junior high high school and high school for a while got started writing again in college and um you know of course in college i i got a master's in literature so um i had to do a lot of essay writing and um all that kind of stuff and then once i got through college though well, you know i want to i want to work more on my fiction now and so that that started writing i mean horror just comes naturally to me like i would say like literary type of stuff that has horror in it as well as more like straight out horror I've noticed you use a very poetic language. Um, just you mentioned in poetry there, like when I read the reverence it was, it's very. You seem to have a very sort of poetic tone when you're writing. Is that deliberate, or is that just how you feel comfortable? Um, that just kind of comes natural to me. I mean, I guess because I always like like people like Edgar Allan Poe and like Sylvia Plath, and I liked a lot of writers from a 19th century, early 20th century. Um, just I like the cadence of it and it just like I hear the words in my head when I write it and it just comes to me a lot of times it's like it's got to be a certain word that ha has like a rhythm or a certain like you know maybe a alliteration that seems like it works for me so I like creating an atmosphere oh, very good and that is that how you kind of because uh, that was something I want to touch on because obviously in this day and age, we have more opportunities than ever for self-creation as such and putting our works out there. We're prior to the internet, um, and I'm even talking, even the like the internet age up to like 2010, there were still restrictions, but I think the social media age is what's opened up a lot of doors for creators to actually get our voices out there to have the opportunity. But at the same time, you're also drowned because everyone's jumped on at the same time going, eh, I can have a go at this. Yeah. How, how do you find your own voice? You know what I mean? Like just to see and every, and I feel overwhelmed at, at times myself because it just seems to be everyone's self written look at me and how do you find your own voice in that world? Well, um, I kind of focus on things that I really want to read that, that kind of think like it's, going to be, you know, I don't want to just read any anything. I want to read something that I think will make me think um, or it's like some kind of style that I really like. I kind of resonate with or something like that. And it kind of, I don't know, I feel like my style is already kind of developed just with writing all the literary essays and things like that from school and studying literature that I don't really get much influenced by other people's style. Well, how do you bring that out? Because I, uh, like I said, I personally I do this. This is my outlet, and this is the way I speak to people. Because I'd rather speak about others than myself. Um, I like collaboration, so that's kind of my voice. How do you find yours? Like I said, because there's thousands, tens of thousands of writers out there. All and even though horror is a niche genre, they're still absolutely tons of writers how do you how do you distinct make yourself distinct so that people know what what you're offering and uh, come in and read your work yeah that i guess like if you mean like kind of more like a marketing angle um yeah that's very difficult for me and plus there's a, a my last name's kind of common and so there's like other people have the same last name as me publishing and i have to keep writing to like amazon and people that have my books you know that, keep my books distinct and um so yeah i mean that's my major problem is lack of marketing uh, <laughs> and um but i am i'm glad for things like this because um you know it's something i enjoy doing and i haven't haven't really done a podcast before but i've done like some kind of written interviews and things and so i like this kind of i think there's something you know, about um just giving people a chance to see the person behind the, the words. 
uh, chance yeah. to get the annoyed because you'd be surprised how many people are terrified to the thought of this wee thing <laughs> and going in front yeah. of it. It's like, uh, it's like, and it's just talking, it's just a tool. Or I find, like, especially over the last two years and having to work from home and uh, use a lot of uh, like Teams and various uh, uh, chat platforms, people who actually get terrified and not even getting broadcast, but just to actually go on camera and speak to someone, there's still a fear there. Yeah, I know. I, I have that little, I get that way too sometimes. But I used to be a teacher and I did one, um, one kind of like book, talk, a couple little book talks uh, a few years ago. And so I kind of got used to it, but it's been, it's been many years since I've done this and I, I get kind of real self-conscious. So, yeah. <laughs> nah, it's all gone. So like I said, if there wasn't technical issues, it wouldn't be real. If this was all like smoothed out and no lips or whatever, but in the end, it's just a conversation. That's that's part of the beauty yeah. of it. But with this conversation, you can reach so many people. That's one of the wonderful things about, I think, technology and the way technology's moved forward, that we can do this. Like we're mm-hmm. we're across the globe from each other, and we may as well be sitting in the same room. You know, it's that's the the plus side. I want to talk a wee bit about the negative side, though, because um, especially social media, it has become so toxic and everything is just pushed into a dichotomy now. You have to be either for something or against it. And I've seen that with horror, like we, we touched on earlier. There's this type of horror. That's it. Nothing else is horror or can be classed. There's either the binary, you know, zeros and ones. You know what I mean? It's... Um, and I thought we got past all that in the 90s and early 2000s, but apparently not. We're, we're back into like, medieval times in, mm-hmm. in the way of people's thinking. How do you, how do you find it? Um, personally, I find it a struggle, but how do you find that and navigating it as an author and, like I said, trying to find your voice and just find your way out there? Have you, have you met any challenges? Well, I guess like I said, a big, one of the big challenges, promoting myself without becoming aggressive, trying to find a proper writing group one that's not like too clickish a lot of them are clickish sometimes you have to like have had so many you know monetary funds and you know publish so much you know so many amount of dollars worth of publications in order to join at the level that you know decent level um so a lot of them are you know and sometimes it's it seems like sometimes it seems like uh, people there's a lot of people out there that just like promote 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 and it gets to be almost like narcissistic uh in a way i mean that's all they ever do and you want to find out more about the real person too and i i think you know if you read other things other than horror maybe sometimes or if you try to just engage engage with the world uh things that are you know, happening, like, you know, even just more personal things like your dreams and stuff like that. And it's interesting to get to know somebody's their psychology and not just what, everything they've published. Yeah. Um, like recently we do these episodes. I try and share them to as many people as possible to get anyone who, you know, the way I see it, someone puts the effort into putting a bit of work, trust us with it. It's nothing less than a duty to try and get it out to as many people as possible. I got into an argument with somebody during the week. I think you saw it. Um, like, proper nasty about how dare you promote an independent author? Why aren't you good enough to go to a publishing house? And this started yeah. out, and I'm like, whoa, calm yourself down. And then it just turned into a whole tirade. And then by the third message, I'm being called dumbass and this and uh, questioning my grammar when I'm on a phone with one thumb going, you know, Given a quick response, I didn't realize I had to get a proofread, you know, during a conversation. But that wasn't the first time that's happened. Like the other, like just nasty. Like there's people sitting there and they're just waiting for their chance to jump on somebody. It's um, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, I mean, I I think, I mean, it's there's just like a drawback. You know, this thing with like um, have print on demand. I'm very thankful for it to give some people an opportunity that are like being suffocated or being like not allowed to uh, with public big you know if you only had big publishing companies they're all 
for a lot of it. They want somebody they know can make a lot of money. Again, it's kind of like a money oriented enterprise. They want, you know, somebody they know pigeonhole somebody. Oh, they're going to be writing, you know, this is like a Stephen King book or something that's like Stephen King. And this one's like so-and-so. And so there there's good thing about print on demand. The bad thing is that unless you've read the books and you know about the author, it is, kind of sometimes hard to determine which books um, would be the kind you want or the style or maybe the books that you think have as much literary merit as as you want. And um, so it is hard to determine the quality unless you, like I say, unless you've read some of their other works, maybe uh, Facebook pages or you, um, their essays or something like that, or you know what they're interested People are afraid to take a in. chance. Yeah, yeah, you just have to take a chance. But do you think people are genuinely afraid in this day and age to just take a chance? Yeah, I because think they're... that's any book. If you've never read an author before, you're you're taking a chance that you're not going to like it. Are people right. are people terrified of that now? I think so. I think, well, I think they're terrified also of having their, like, authority challenge. Like, if they are, if they are fortunate enough to be with a publishing company, then they don't want to be challenged by somebody who didn't go through the ropes. You know, I'm thinking it's just kind of like, you know, when punk developed, you know, you had people like forming their own record labels and all that kind of stuff. And it broke through, it broke through the the recording industry monopoly. Well, now it's getting back to the same old thing, the recording industry monopoly. It's, it's hard to find new artists that aren't like a in a mold, you know, but you have there again, internet, sometimes you discover just like somebody, you know, that knows somebody else and you say, Oh, wow, I like that music or I like, I like what they said about somebody's post or I like this particular artwork and they know somebody else who's a writer, you think, well, if they like that, then you know, there must be, you kind of take a chance by the people kind of people you know that like something that's actually a good example that's um a couple of weeks ago there is the first time i bought vinyl in many years and i bought mm-hmm. uh latest blaze bailey album and it was purely off the fact of i'm a massive iron maiden fan so that's you know f buds or maybe that's that's my go-to um but blaze bailey he was lead singer for uh two albums a couple of years and then he kind of faded never heard anything from it but it was through the internet and interviews and seeing him this and uh, you know now and just how personal he was and down to earth and i don't think he had much of a chance when he was leads you know he took over the duties of just a bad time in like mid 90s but it was because of the internet because of having the interview and then getting this hear some of his stuff that actually made me go and buy vinyl you know start going down being pretentious again you know because that's the thing now if you buy vinyl you're a hipster but I just felt like you know, I want you know when you want to own something belonging to somebody, and show your support that way. It was because of the internet, because of the conversation, mm-hmm. that uh, made me sort of go down that road. I don't know. Do you find? Um, trust me, lost my train of thought. Mike, like, like I said, this isn't going to be smooth or whatever else. But um, just with the way people are online. And like I said, that was such a random thing to fight about or to get angry about. And this one, I don't think this was a writer either. This was just some random person. Right. But I've seen a lot from editors there. Some of them can be very aggressive and very condescending. And then in the same tone, they're like, but use me for your editing services. And so I was like, you're worthless without me. And I don't like that sort of tone. You know, I'd rather encourage someone than put them down the you need me to be anything. I, I think that's almost abusive in a sense. Yeah. And to just assume because, because you're, uh, you know, print on demand or self-published that you're no good. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous because in fact, I know a lot of people who, whose work I've read <laughs> that I think is like as better than a lot of things that are published and they don't even bother to publish it. So, um you know that's the thing i mean it i don't think being published means it's necessarily better i think it just either the person's already established a name they have 
they have people that uh, maybe somehow know of their works through some other channel and they're willing to give them a chance or whatever. Yeah, I suppose to qualify, I don't think there's, I'm not for one second saying this is the way, there is no other way because that's that's kind of the whole point of this conversation. Um, there's authors I know do both. So they're with a publisher, they have their contract uh, number of books are producing through the publisher, but they also have their independent publishing on the side. And that's where something that mightn't reach be the palette of that particular company they can still express themselves. So, and I think that's the point, uh, or what I would like to discuss is why do people, why have people got so ingrained now that it's either one way or the other? Why are they stuck in that mindset when we're in the age where the stars should be the limit? Why did they get so upset? I, I think, well, I think it's just maybe frustration that because there's so many things out there and you it's almost gets overwhelming like which unless you've heard of the book through like a trusted friend or something you're you know you just don't know what to decide and and this may seem a little negative but sometimes you know people who endlessly promote their books and they're it's like self-published or something. And then I see excerpts from their books and it's like run on sentences galore. You know, it's, it's like in their descriptions are like cliched or whatever. And I think because there's like a few, you know, I'm not saying they're the majority by any means, but because there's like some people out there, maybe the person sees one person like that and they think, Oh, everybody who's self-published, they don't know grammar. They, they don't care. They just want to, you know, whatever. So, <laughs> so do you That's think it's a problem. reaction to the information overload? So, yeah, information overload. is there an argument to be made for some sort of gatekeeping, or is there maybe a way that the audience should be more discerning, or a way to encourage them to say, like, what we try to do here is obviously uh, we perform a short piece, so. 10, 15, only in like 15 minutes, but there's an excerpt from a story or a short story. There's there's an example of somebody's work just put in audio form with a wee bit of dramatization, mm-hmm. but you're getting the example. So if you want to check out any of our authors, they're there. And then the links, obviously, you can go and follow them. Uh, likes, likes yourself, um, your links are in the description uh, of this episode. Do you know what I mean? Um, more an opportunity to, to look at your work. Is this the way forward or is there something else that needs to be done to maybe convince the audience to give things a try or to let them see? Because that's a bit I struggle with or I'm trying to find ways around. Um, yeah, it, uh, okay. I think, well, I think one way to do it is like you say, having, having these kind of episodes where people get to hear the work and a little excerpt of the work and see if it's, you know, they like the theme or the style or the subject matter. Another way is I'm glad there's like a lot of, um, I, I look at open calls. I try to get some submissions in and if they, if you get a short story published somewhere and then you find out about other people who are getting in the same, then it, it kind of opens it up and it gives, gives you a chance to see what other people are writing. And then maybe you want to say, oh, you know, I've, I've seen things on Facebook, maybe, oh, I, I, that person, I love what they wrote here. I've seen a little excerpt of their novel, I, you know, so their Facebook friend and, you know, whatever, they seem insightful. I like the subject matter. I'm going to buy that book, you know? Good, yeah, because it's, um, like I said, I don't like, I don't like the nastiness. I think it's, it's exhausting. And the, the almost reaction that, oh, here's somebody doing something different. I don't like this. And independent publishing has been around for long enough now. And there's even, like, we've got the main publishing houses. There'll always be Penguin Books. There'll always be HarperCollins. You know, that they'll, they'll kind of last as long as there's bookstores. Um, but we're now seeing, like, smaller independent publishers as well. So there's a bit of a helping hand too. How important is networking? I think it's, I think it's very important. And I think it's important to, I know, like, you know, friends of friends of friends. um, And not just with authors. I mean, some of the people that I've um, 
gotten to know on Facebook who've actually helped me uh, discover other authors and they're not even authors. Maybe they're artists or they're musicians or, or something like that. Um, theater, whatever music. And they, they, because mutual friends and, and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, like for instance, or even just a, a mutual interest group, uh, I mentioned David Lynch before. <laughs> I, I'm in like this big David Lynch group, and there's like a lot of really tremendously creative people in there in all different fields, you know, artists and musicians and writers and people who are doing like independent films. And, you know, you discover a lot of people in there and, um, you, you know, so it's like you got your own little community there and, yeah, you, know, you have that with other things too. That's good. It's just, um, I suppose the, the, the balances are trying to go to the other side that it doesn't become clickish. Like you mentioned with some of the groups, the you start getting a group in, they want to run the show, it almost becomes their whole world. Like, yeah. how important is it? Because uh, it's so easy with this, you know, as a creator, just to delve in. And like I said, you've seen so many people and 100% of their time spent self-promoting. That becomes their entire focus. How do you achieve balance between... Um, your creative efforts and getting yourself known and having a personal life and actually enjoying the online experience. Because I think there's too many people don't enjoy social media anymore. It's become a compulsion and a method of power where maybe they don't, they're don't. they replacing something empty in their lives. How, how do you navigate that yourself? Well, I, I try to discipline myself. Um, like, for instance, instead of looking at the news, Right, Alison, you've just dipped out again at look, try not to look at the news. So hopefully you'll, yep, read this a second. Gotta love technology. Some friends have really interesting things to say. So yeah. I'm going to look at more of their posts. And some people, you know, I just want to make sure nothing horrible happened in their lives, you know, or whatever. Just kind of check up on them every once in a while. And um, so I kind of do that. And then I, um, you know, I devote like, I mean, fortunately, I'm I'm kind of retired now from my uh, regular jobs, but I do a lot of I devote myself to writing a certain amount of hours per day if I can, and uh, then I, you know, try to you know limit my TV watching on just certain hours and and that kind of thing. So you just if you just and I don't like have text alerts. I don't have things like dinging and you know, interrupting my private time. Yeah. <laughs> the, the first alarm I thought was for this. It's like one of the few alarms, apart from the morning, it goes yeah. off and I'm like, what, what, what's this? Because I switch off all notifications. I hate constantly being buzzed. It's almost as if something's ruling your life. Like, leave me alone. I'll yeah. decide what I want to do, damn it. <laughs> so is self-discipline like really important? Yes. Yes, it is. Because I know you can be overwhelmed. I mean, like sometimes I think, oh, I didn't check up on that person today. Oh, what if what if something horrible happened in their life and I'm going to be a bad friend or whatever like that? So it's like I have to calm myself. OK, well, do you check up on them tomorrow or whatever? <laughs> you know, it, it can be a compulsion. Yeah. Yeah. My friends know that they here for me for weeks or months is just part of it. Yeah. I have the same type of friends who, you know, we mightn't talk to each other for like six months. Doesn't mean we're not friends anymore. I'm going to go and have a pint tomorrow and pick up the conversation from where it was. So I think the type of people as well you have in your life is a factor. Um, yeah. And also, I don't know how some people can have like thousands of friends. I mean, I don't know how that, how they can keep track of them all you know, and do any kind of inter interaction at all with them. No, it's um, 104. God, I forget the name of the law. Um, there's a rule that you basically can't interact with more than 140 people. And that's your whole circle of life, effectively. Once it goes outside that, you, they become ineffectual relationships. So mm -hmm. those 140 people make up your work, your family, your close friends. And then as the circle widens out, that's where it becomes less relevant. And it's always, you're always managing that circle. People might fall to the outside, they might come back to the center again. But it's having that core focus. Um, 
if it was clever, I'd remember the name of the law, but it's gone out of my head. But that that kind of rule of thumb. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in some ways I, um, you know, sometimes I get really frustrated with social media. I thought, oh, I wish it it wasn't even invented. But I have to, and I have have cousins and things that just like, oh, I don't want to go on Facebook, blah, 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 blah. But But because of Facebook, I've met a lot of creative people and I've been inspired. I've had opportunities I never would have had. I mean, I would have been pretty isolated. You know, sometimes it's hard to make friends in real life, especially with, well, you know, COVID and everything. Two and a half years just. And, you know, we you know, just moved to New Orleans and, and you know, right before COVID, basically. And um, I've met some through. I, did know some people here and then I've met some through other people on social media. So it helps when you're locked in that you have social media. Oh, absolutely. Like for myself, I'm living um, just in the outskirts of London, just in one of the other boroughs, but um, moved here a couple of years ago just for this all hit. And if it wasn't for social media, you'd be sitting staring at four walls going, what? <laughs> you know, and being distracted. Um, also as well, I think we'll touch this very start. Horror is a niche genre. And when you're in the bubble, so to speak, it's hard to imagine that there's people outside that are terrified. Like I think I think you become desensitized. Like when I'm watching movies, I'm not looking to be I'd love to be scared again, you know, maybe fantastic. Yeah. You might get the odd jump scare, but generally it's like, ah, oh, that was done wrong, that was right, ah, oh, that was funny, you know. But there's people actually terrified. And it's hard to imagine sometimes that those people exist because, especially in social media, when you find your group, um, or also out in the real world, if you're making jokes and people are like horrified at you yeah, when you're showing like, a dark, like gallows humor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have like kind of a dark humor and people in my family get it, close friends get it, but other people, it's like, oh my God, if, if they, heard it just slipped into my head that way you know and <laughs> yeah and that's that's where um like i said i love the benefits of social media and the, the internet that you have the opportunity to find like-minded people we wouldn't have been able to do this right now as we're sitting without social media you know it's a it's a powerful tool it's just a shame sometimes people think they have to own it and it's they think that they're the arbiter and only their view or only their interests and likes can be heard. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, we talked about special interest groups, that a lot of them are getting shut down because of people complaining or the Facebook algorithm is picking it up. So there's actually people mm-hmm. purposely getting into these groups to take offence and report them and yeah. get them shut down. And I never understood that mentality. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I think the only thing I would like probably, you know, really be like concerned about, you know, anything like hurting animals or hurting real life people or something like that, you know, that that would be something to report. But if, you know, if something somebody says something you don't like and they keep saying it over and over and it's really like offensive to you, either you unfriend the person, maybe you contact them first and say, you know, this is like racist or whatever. And, or you just like, you know, you don't have anything to do with them, but not, not just like tattle on them all the time. Yeah. It's, um, but there's these people, like I said, if you see a group and it's called horror, you've kind of got an idea that there's going to be disturbing. Cause that's to me, that's the essence of horror. Not yeah. so much the genre, but the unsettling feeling. Horror is right, that I mean, unsettling feeling where you don't feel secure as a person anymore. That's what horror is meant to do. It's meant to shake you up and you're no longer the alpha predator. There's something bigger out there, even if it's yourself, which you talk about um, sort of warped reality and uh, some of my favorite tropes are, you know, uh, like the unbending mind or you don't know if the character's losing the plot or if this is actually happening. And that's kind of what you're trying to piece together the clues. That's, that's what horror is about. So somebody to come from the outside into that and then effectively, I'm getting in there to get offended and report people because they're making dark humor jokes or yeah. they're looking, like dark humor is, especially in trying times, that's always been a coping mechanism. Uh, soldier's humor, gallows humor, 
black humor you know it's it's got so many names but it's the same thing it's one of the best coping me- mechanisms to actually laugh at something because your body doesn't know what else to do you're faced with something insurmountable it's taking you over your you could be the end of your life so the only thing to do is go haha because at least that way you've still got some control left and it seems to be this this whole thing online which is ruining it ruining the very thing that it was set up not to be i just find yeah. it really frustrating well i mean you think of like the you know great like from mythology on i mean there's always been like gruesome things there's been like incest there's been cannibalism you know things like that and um so i don't know why now certain things are are off limits as long as it's like fiction and you're not you're not doing it to some unwilling person or animal in real life i mean it's it's just a, a story it's just fiction it's you know, maybe depending on also depends on like um you know it there's so many other things that were once taboo and and you know like i say william burroughs and stuff and and that kind of thing i mean as a literature major at least i had the chance to read a lot of things that maybe now people would object to and try to ban or whatever and um, i'm glad i was a you know got a chance to be exposed to all that stuff and as a kid you know watching horror movies and you know nobody seemed to care that i was watching them no same as myself i loved it um obviously back in the day i had only four channels and then it was like saturday night was the horror movies you know um mm-hmm. my favorite of all times abbott and Costello meet frankenstein you know that's <laughs> just an absolute mishmash of comedy horror and you know uh, Boris Karloff and all and everything just because um, that was the thing the old black and white movies used to watch shows religiously loved them and uh, I would laugh you know but then I heard that kids would have nightmares watching that stuff even back in the day and they're like really? Where did it go wrong? Or where did this culture because everything has been about expansion and progression at what point is it because of the information overload or the fact that anything's on the table, are people trying to sense themselves? Is that just trying to dial back from overload? Is that is that where this is maybe coming from? Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe. Yeah, probably they Maybe they don't examine their own thoughts very much. I mean, I've always been very interested in psychology, like especially depth psychology, things like Jungian psychology with the shadow and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, things with doppelganger or themes of that, like Jekyll and Hyde. And, and um, a lot of people just don't want to look within, you know, they, they want to categorize this is good, this is bad, instead of saying it's part, of, it's an aspect of yourself, you know. And that is the essence of horror. Like I said, that yeah. uncomfortable feeling, that's what, and that's why there's so many genres, because there's so many ways to generate that feeling. Mm-hmm. that uh, they just shake you and make you go oh my word can that actually happen uh, it's, that, it's just uh, I wonder where this fear came from because it just seemed to be that like myself growing up everything was moving forward and everything was yeah. about pushing the boundary of yourself or maybe it was just the way I, I had an outlook and I didn't no, really I, notice I, other I people yeah yeah somehow I got it got re- repressive again, and um, I I don't really know why. Um, I think maybe it's just because because social media got to be so big and everybody's using it, and of course there's always going to be some people that are offended by everything, and you know they maybe they were never exposed to anything challenging as a child or whatever. Do you think horror is a good thing for children? Yeah, I do. I mean, like I watched it as a child. I mean, never did me any harm. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, as I, as a child, um, I have to say, my grandmother used to come up with some very scary things that she would tell me. And, you know, she would say like, "Oh, don't go out in the road. You're going to be flat, uh, smashed." flatter than a pancake and we never be able to put you back together again. And I was like, Oh, wow. I mean that her words or descriptions, it's, 
better than a physical punishment. I mean, I can imagine all these things. So, you know, you think of the fairy tales and they always have these really gruesome things that a lot of people would find terribly offensive nowadays. And um, But there were generally yeah. warnings. You know, it was the, the original form of, I wouldn't say morality. There's obviously hints of morality. But it was more about like uh, Red Riding Hood, don't go off the beaten path. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's because you'll lose yourself and you don't know what's out there. Um, Hansel and Gretel always find their way home. Careful who you trust. You know what I mean? All the grim fairy tales. Oh, did you lose me? I think you've dipped out again. I can't hear you. All right, I couldn't hear you back. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do this little sign. Yeah, that's, that's why I kind of stopped there. I'm like, oh, right. and then, But then nothing was coming through. God, I love technology. It's so much fun. <laughs> so I was saying about um, like the Grim Fairy Tales, Red Riding Hood, don't stray off the beaten path. You know, it was a warning to like, know where you're going. Hansel and Gretel always be able to find your way home. Know who you can trust. These were like the earliest uh, forms of warning and not necessarily morality, but survival. And mm-hmm. the use of horror has always been that to make you look inside as well because by being self-aware, being aware of dangers, but not being overwhelmed by it, then you could function. So do you think it's kind of hiding young people? Like it seems to be a generation of like 25 to 35 or the, you know, are the worst culprits who just seem to be so wrapped in cotton wool that everything shakes their world now. Yeah, I think well maybe maybe part of this backlash thing is because things in the real world have suddenly, well not suddenly, progressively become more horrible. People retreat from any kind of depiction of it in fantasy, um, and I mean it's if they it's almost like they think oh if I don't read about it it's it's not going to happen or something, you know. Um, I mean, a, a lot of things that happen in the news, I, I keep thinking, oh, it's so, it sounds so much like a horror story, you know what I mean? Like, you just wouldn't believe it actually happened, but it did. So maybe maybe that's the fear of what's actually happening, and they're just not facing it or something. Strange, but yet the actual answer would be to read more. Because, for example, you t- uh, serial killers would be a good example. Knowing the patterns or how this talk the victims if you read about it then you can be worried yourself of okay maybe not going down that mm-hmm. dark alley with no street lights at 2am in the morning is not the best idea or going to the car park parking your car right at the very end in the isolated bit under the bushes is not the best of ideas because I've read 50 stories about how somebody always jumps out from the bush or that's where you get disappeared <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, do you think they're actually doing more harm to themselves than by shutting themselves away? And then the cycle is just repeating even further? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is very practical suggestions. I mean, yeah, I guess maybe because I watched horror movies as a kid and my grandmother always scared me. <laughs> um, maybe I was very cautious. I mean, oh, you don't you don't do this. Uh, or, you know, you'd be very careful. You know, always be aware of your surroundings, all that kind of stuff. Be wary of who you get in a car with, or blah 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 blah. And yeah, a lot of people aren't careful, and maybe if they watch more horror movies, they would be. <laughs> Could save your life. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Actually, one of uh, like my first horror movies, like Nightmare on Elm Street, absolutely fan of that series. But the underlying message between all those movies, even though they got like comedy and cheesy towards the end was always know your own fears and know yourself. And the minute you conquer those, you conquer Freddy. So there's always a subtle message woven in there of, you know, if you let your fear take over, you're done, which is mm-hmm. the basics for life. The minute you, you can have fear, fear's a useful tool. Feeling uncomfortable is a useful tool because if you feel that bump, you know something's not right. If you're walking into a situation with a group of people and all of a sudden they're going quiet, you get that vibe you know not to be there anymore there's something not right so in essence by shutting themselves off I think these these poor folk are actually putting themselves in more harm and making themselves more susceptible right and also 
like if I shutting off any kind of dark thoughts that they would have, I think those things are more likely to fester inside. Like, for instance, one thing, you know, sometimes when I'm like depressed or whatever, and I watch a movie, it has like a real, like this bitter irony at the end. It really kind of makes me happy because it's like all about this person. They, they didn't want, uh, you know, like film noir sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, like Nightmare Alley. I don't know if you ever saw that. Yeah, actually, we just movie. talked about that um, two weeks ago. You talked about that? Yeah, we did it. No, uh, Cameron and I talked about it. Went to see it oh, wow. Okay, I, I saw the movie recently. But yeah, that the ending was like, I'm not going to tell about the ending. But it was just so perfect because it was all like this little seed was planted all throughout. And um, it's like, yeah, you know, it's like I was really happy because I mean, it's kind of laughing in a morbid way because, you know. Yeah, because if, um, if I had it went differently, there would be no moral story. Um, I'll put the link in the description for our conversation because we do spoil it if you you want to go there. <laughs> but um, Bradley Cooper, he's an underrated actor. I was talking about that as well. Um, he transformed into his character and he's barely recognizable. Who's this? Bradley Cooper, the main actor. Oh, yeah. He yes, played yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe he was even in those other movies. I was like, yeah. That's, so that's a sign of a good, yeah. you know, actor. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen some of his other movies, and I was, like, surprised I was in him. And I was, yeah, that was, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was excellent. And, I mean, that's technically not horror, but, you know, then again, you think of, tragedies like Oedipus Rex I mean you could make it into a horror movie you know I don't know there was once again it's about that uncomfortable feeling and this was basically about somebody's own narcissism you know and their journey along it uh oh give me the thumbs up when we're ready I'll just keep talking for the audience now we're uh, once again just we've done quite well though um we're nearly on our end and I can't oh, hear back you. Again? Yep. Sorry, I said um, just um, I was just talking for the audience. Obviously, just uh, <laughs> well, we'll resync back up again. We've I said we've done quite well for a live stream that uh, been yeah, going, going quite well. So I was saying, um, like the whole idea of horror once again that uncomfortable feeling looking inside. This was somebody who didn't look inside, and that was a whole yeah. driving narrative of the story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, d I did, because it, you know, kind of cathartic, you know, it's like, you know, I guess it's like you brought up something I thought was fascinating, like how people like to think they're in control of everything, right? Humans are in control. You know, the whole thing of fate, like in the Greek tragedies and stuff, you're not in control. And in, in my um, my books, it's like, you know, my, like my vampires and other supernatural characters, I kind of like the fact that envisioning some kind of other type of being that is at the top of the food chain it's the humans you know humans have so much uh egotism they think oh we can control everything and sometimes i really like it when there's some other creature and they just smash the humans you know As, <laughs> i'm a massive fan of godzilla and the gaiju movies you know um like yeah. specific rim and that um i actually think that would solve the world's problems if there was yeah. an apex predator a guy who just materialized and it didn't matter whether they're rich poor it would just materialize either in a city or out in the sticks there was nowhere safe and just randomly every couple of years just munch down a few humans yeah. and just put us back in our place and then we kind of had a moment to reflect oh okay that could be me next i'm gonna squeeze every drop out of this life because you never know yeah yeah it's humbling and it's like people i mean i think um you know, the thing is, too, it's like if I would have thought that things like COVID would have taught us that we're not, we're not, we can't control everything. You know, we could, you know, do good things with the vaccines and all that kind of stuff. But essentially, there's always going to be something mysterious, unknown that we can't control. And we have to be a little humble sometimes and, you know, respect other forms of life and respect the planet and all that kind of thing. And. I think part of the problem with the last two years was there was no internal reflection. So the people that were supposedly leading us suffer from that narcissism and 
don't have mm-hmm. that internal reflection and they're all part of the game and about winning the game and not actually about uh oh this isn't good or they're not thinking long term they're just thinking i'm going to be in this position of power for x number of years or i've now been elevated because of the situation i'm going to milk as much of this as possible and then that's where everything went completely sideways and once again everyone jumped into the dichotomy there was no nuance of conversation everything was either you're right or you're wrong or if you don't agree with this you're a bad person or if you're on that side you do and it, that's not how you that's not how you convince people that's how you get people on board in fact that's how you get more antagonism yeah and then yeah back to what we're yeah. saying it's into every aspect of life it's like i think sometimes there's like you know it's almost like there's like some kind of mental like mass delusion or something something's infected humanity you know that you know people like just rioting like uh over nothing you know just like you know over whether or not to wear masks or like uh something happened in pennsylvania some people had like a human stampede in a steakhouse of all things because they somebody was getting got their steak first or whatever and it was like a mass brawl people throwing tables and chairs and i mean it was like you know if it was a movie it'd be like a comedy but it was real it was life. too far-fetched <laughs> if you handed that script then or that novel and the publisher would be like are you mad that would never happen you're like no, this is actually just transcripts of the news this is gone right now but we're not at that level of i don't know maybe there's a yearning for horror i think that's one thing that most recent times have shown because people don't read horror because they don't um the molly cuddle themselves they want that excitement so it's coming out in wrong ways and like you said people don't examine their dark thoughts where i have found i have yet to speak to a horror writer or somebody who has a interest in horror or the darkness or a real dark sense of humor to be a bad person do you know what I mean i've yet to meet one Everyone has be... been absolutely delightful and lovely, and yeah. Besides writing all this like crazy dark stuff and doing gnarly things to people, trying to be a really pleasant person, and that's that's maybe a, an advocate for horror. That if you dive into that world, actually, you'll come out better. Well, yeah, it's like there's this. I've heard it spoken of before. Toxic positivity. You know, it's like everybody like lecturing it and then again but that's bent veers into a horror thing like with all the little cults of everybody oh sweetness and light and then you know it morphs into something really dark because people don't want to admit it to themselves you know the wicker man the original not that horrible remake but the original wicker man with uh, christopher lee and ever woodward yeah he's getting burnt alive with like livestock and like screaming in agony and they're all singing you know and dancing and like really happy and you're like that to me that image just came straight in my mind from what you said that's that's a word now this forced politeness actually is leading people to do dark stuff where i think it's better to imagine dark stuff and write about dark stuff and laugh at dark stuff at least then you're not doing it yeah and oh it's also like a on that same kind of vein was like midsummer i loved that movie i haven't seen that yet i've been oh it's like kind of, kind of a cult like thing with wick mm. like wicker man and and uh sweden i think it is that it's really really good but you know and but the weird thing is about that film it's all filmed in the sun so most horror films are filmed in the dark and it just shows that it's almost like the sun itself you know the the year of sweet you know what sweden has like sunshine all the time and all these kind of progressively dark things are happening and you know yeah um back home we always call them the good living person they're good living they don't drink they don't smoke they wouldn't do this you know they're happily married for 20 years blah 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 and then you peel back the curtain and you find out they're the ones doing the gnarly stuff and you're like all right okay no, um, the reason that I haven't watched that movie is because, once again, it's fallen into this thing, either if you like it, you're a good, virtuous, clever person, and if you don't like it, you're a horrible, bad, nasty troll that should live under a rock and not exist, and you're like, dude, it's a movie. <laughs> you either like yeah. it or you don't, but why is it Why is it being formed into these two camps over a piece of entertainment? 
Yeah, I think so. I think more people would benefit from depth psychology, I think, you know, that people should really, I don't know, pe people all on the surface, they, they think they have to be like stereotypically happy and you still have all these ideas of success and they, they fill all their dark emptiness with like either products or food or whatever, pro you know, buy and stuff all the time. And instead of examining what is there about me that is, is hungry inside, what do I want truly, you know, they, they don't acknowledge, what am I afraid of? A lot of people don't, don't ever think about what they're afraid of. And with me, it's like almost always in my thoughts. I'm looking like, for the next thing. <laughs> it's like, come yeah, on. It's like, I have to, I have to like, Sometimes it's hard to, to not think of dark thoughts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I said you just Roman Dante, but that's where um that's where horror and and that's why I personally love the genre, is that's exactly what it does in every shape and form. It's poking at you to get you to look inside because if it gives you a reaction. So if you read a psychological horror and you see somebody just completely falling apart and that unnerves you. Then you read another psychological horror and that unnerves you too. Then straight away, you know you've got a fear of power and control within yourself. And there's something mm -hmm. for you to look at. If you're afraid of the monster, then is it your own mortality? Is it not being the apex predator? Is it the unknown? You know, the more you find out what makes you tick. And I think the darkness, you know, knowing what makes you afraid is as much if not more important than what makes you happy because if you know mm -hmm. what you don't like then you can gravitate yourself towards what you do and what's going to give you a fulfilled life and this is what this genre does um actually your story um uh the one we featured revenants had a really great tone uh God, i forget i forget the character's name but basically she started out with a full life uh, yeah the character doesn't it actually have a name. She doesn't totally right. Okay, that's so I'm a bit of a scatterbrain, so that's why I also have to apologize in advance. She gives herself a name or something, but yeah, and and the awakener he doesn't reveal his true name either. So no, and the restaurant scene actually is a perfect embodiment of that. That internal hunger that people don't know how to feed or they don't even know what they're hungering for. So when the menu items are being set down didn't know until the pumpkin you know it was uh it's that mm -hmm. thing of if you don't know what's going to upset you if you don't know what actually you're yearning for or what you're afraid of how can you live life because if you don't actually embrace all aspects of life then you're not you're you're an automaton yeah you know that that scene with the pumpkin thing that came from a dream too and even uh, even one of the characters in the book, uh, uh, Morbidy Graham, <laughs> that name came to me in a dream also. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think I think dream work is uh, really important in horror. You know, that's something I haven't heard about in ages. No dream interpretation. That used to be a massive thing, um, sort of mid two thousands. Like there was, everybody was out interpreting dreams, or there's books upon books being produced about trying to discover what your dreams mean. That seems to have just completely vanished. Do you think that's part of this refusal to be introspective? Or is it just run its course? No, I think it's important everybody like examine their dreams. And like I've got a book of symbols. Uh, it's like symbols in art, symbols and you know, and I look at it sometimes and um, you see like, you know, what it means. And a lot of times you know, I kind of believe in archetypes. I think there's a lot of things that people have been, symbols have the same kind of general meanings through throughout the centuries. You know, maybe it's just the way our minds work at associations or something. Um, interesting, yeah. It's, um, I, think, I think we need to get back to that. Um, not so much navel-gazing, but that hard look inside. I think if people, we get more people turned around and in that, I think it can only be better. Well, uh, I suppose you could. Um, I was. I kind of planned for this to be an hour or so. Are you okay for time? Yeah. I don't want to. I don't you be like, oh, he's got me trapped here. No, no. I've had a. I've had a good time. I didn't know how long it would be, but I, yeah, this. I kind of set aside an hour, but obviously, least, I. I, I, figured it, I figured at least an hour, and um, and I figured well, 
long as it's not over an hour and a half because I have a dinner reservation. No, understand. <laughs> That's what I thought I'd just check there because the uh, last thing I want to do is hold you prisoner and then this becomes a horror movie itself. He won't let me off the camera. So um, just to wrap up, what projects are you currently working on right now? What's, what's sort of in the pipeline? What's still in the pipeline? Well, I'm still kind of, it's a, I have this little file cabinet full of all these things that I've started and working on. And one of the things I'm working on, I want to do a prequel to the uh, Revenants and Toxicosis, which is kind of big. We've lost you there. <laughs> We've lost you now. Are we back? No, no. Can't hear me yep, now. Now we're back. Now we're back. I was going to so say prequel to toxicosis. Prequel to to the books, and it's going to be loosely based on some of the things I felt as a child and adolescence, and why her fantasies about vampires and other types of entities, and how how it kind of shaped her life, and why she would be drawn to someone like the Awakener and that kind of thing and it's gonna you know it's gonna be like little like little montages of things in her life that have kind of like supernatural resonance to them you know so but that's kind of hard to write so i i do a lot of short stories in the meantime <laughs> yeah i have a whole bank of stuff and it's like yeah i need to get the next idea right oh <laughs> that's all right well we're back again. Just about nope. Thank you've gone as well. Yeah, I got oh. sound keeps cutting out. But. Oh, no well, I think we'll. I think that's a good time to wrap up because I think we've been really lucky so far. This has been ninety percent seamless. Um, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, Folks, don't forget to check out Alison her work. Um, I've put links in the description. I'll comment on this when it uh, 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 goes out onto YouTube and I can do that underneath. Um, don't forget as well, check out the various segments of the Horrific Podcast. Uh, one of them's Horrific Tales, where we feature authors like Alison and her works. So you can check them out, see who you like, and then make sure you support them. Um, also, we've got various other segments on the go now, where we just delve into all sorts of horror and celebrate independent creation. So until next time, my friends, keep it creepy, keep it horrific.